His blood for you. No more blood. Our older children can be dismissed with Brother Will. What a beautiful sight. See these children, see the small children with us earlier. And uh, I've got a lot to be thankful for, man, this Easter. And um, I tell you, like in our church, this is exciting. Uh, musically, you just talking about Cecil, musically in the last three or four months, we've made this massive leap forward. And, uh, and I turned around the other Sunday and I thought, man, there are five or six young preachers that are now in our church, our little children that we've got. Uh, that are a part of us, man, if God is good, say amen. And all that's good, but the reason all that goes on uh, is because Jesus died. This isn't just some ritual. This isn't some game. This isn't just something uh, we do uh, to do. We do all this because our lives, our very being is bound up. Everything about us is bound up with Jesus. Now today is a day of praise and life is full of praise. Uh, we praise uh, good food that we drink. If we have a good meal, we say, man, that was a, that was a good meal. Uh, we praise good food, good drink. We praise a well-built home. If you see a house that's been uh, well-built and you see it, you go, wow, that's a, now that was a well-built home. That's, a, that's an interesting house. Maybe this time of year, as, uh, people are, are getting into the gardening. That's all going to start and all going to get going and and you see a, a, a beautiful garden, uh, whether it's a flower garden or a garden of fruit or vegetables. If it's been tended well, you can look at it and say, wow, and give it praise that that's a, that's a well-tended garden. As our school year starts to wind down for most of our students, we, we praise students that have worked hard and have done the best that they could do, but we give them praise for the effort they have put forth. We praise the beautiful voices and the fine-tuned instruments, when people play them well or sing well, we praise them and hopefully we praise the Creator that gave these voices and gave these instruments. Life, if it's worth living, if it's worth living, life is full of praise for many things. But on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday, we give special attention to praising Jesus, our conquering Lord and Savior who defeated death and the power of sin. Today, this morning, this very hour, this very moment is a day of praise. So this morning we praise the one who died for you. Turn this morning to the book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews in the New Testament and go to verse 20. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 20. And we're going to look at two verses this morning, just Two verses today. We've had a lot of scripture this morning as we have read of that glorious encounters that happened after Jesus rose from the dead. And now we're going to narrow it all down to a thesis statement, to a, uh, to a main idea of what this all is about for us. For those of us that have been changed by these events, we're going to look today in Hebrews 13, verse 20 and 21 we're going to look at a doxology. Would you say that after me? Say doxology. Doxology is a, a praise. In the Christian tradition, a doxology is a praise to God the Father and Jesus the Son and many times to the Holy Spirit as well. A doxology is just a praise. And in the Christian tradition, doxologies, these praises, 
had been added to canticles and psalms and hymns. And here in the very Word of God itself, at the very end of the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, adds a doxology. The biblical writer adds a doxology of praise to the Christians that he is encouraging. And so today, on this encouraging, the most encouraging of all days, we want to look at this doxology, this little praise that has been given in the Word of God. For this praise should be your praise, your family's praise. The praise of the church is found here in Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Let's read it together. Look at this doxology with me. The Word of God says now, the God of peace, not just any God, but the God of peace, the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, the God of peace that brought from the dead our Lord Jesus through the blood of the everlasting covenant may make you perfect in every good work to do His will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight. Making perfect in every good work to do His will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. On this Easter Sunday that we gather to praise God, it is appropriate to take a moment in the midst of all the praising that we have been doing. It is just right, just just right to take a little moment of time, a little snippet of time to consider why. Why have we, starting at 9.30, why have we done all of this praising of Jesus today? Why do we do this every Sunday? Why do we do it in our individual lives, hopefully every day that we live? Why do we Christians, and if you're not a Christian, maybe you're curious, why do we spend so much time praising God? And today I want us to see from this doxology three reasons that we disciples of Jesus spend so much time praising God. Number one, first reason that we praise God, first reason we praise God that we see here is we praise God because He is a peacemaking God. We praise today a peacemaking God. Now, sometimes when we think of peace, we, we, we don't really think about what's entailed for peace to be accomplished in our lives. But did you notice what the book of Hebrews, how it describes God in this doxology? Look back at number 20 at the very beginning of that verse. He says, now, the God of peace. I'm so glad today. I'm so glad today for believers who have had the blood and the death of Jesus applied to their life. I'm so glad that today God is not a God of wrath or a God of anger with us. I'm glad that for believers, God is a great God of peace. If you're glad you serve a peacemaking God, say amen. You need a peacemaking God. You need a peacemaking God. I need a peacemaking God. We need peace, but we cannot create. We cannot make the peace that we so desperately need. From the ancient pagan sacrifices, to the witch doctors, to uh, the Buddha in the, in, in the ancient world, to the modern psychologists today who seek to give peace to the tormented, or the pharmacist who, who tries to give peace to those that are tormented through a pill. We strive and we do the best we can, and, and humanly speaking, we've been able to give a small measure of peace. But that eternal peace, 
that lasting peace, that joy in the midst of every trial, we cannot create it. You see, the pills that we take, if we are not careful, they eventually ensnare us and we become their slaves. Many people laugh about you go to a psychologist to get better. And my wife works in the counseling field. But, you know, there are lots of people that go to counselors. And then, lo and behold, they become dependent on the counselor. And they have a whole new problem. The one they had they started with, they, they can't stop going to see their counselor. They become uh, addicted to, to the very thing they thought would cure them. We have tried and we have failed at creating peace. Do you know the Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah, that ancient book of prophecy the bible tells us in isaiah that your iniquities why is it you have no peace the bible says your iniquities your sin has made a separation between you and your creator god and that feeling of alienation that feeling of alienation that sometimes you feel deep within you that alienation it is sin it is the power of sin that eats away at what little bit peace we have until there is no joy left For some people, what steals their joy, what destroys their peace is their tongue. Eventually their gossip or their hurtful speech destroys every relationship around them. Some people can't control their anger. Others cannot control their envy. Maybe today there are those that cannot control their sexual desires. Some can't control their need to be in control. We need peace. But today you cannot secure your peace peace boy we need sometimes at the at the cookhouse my house we sometimes need peace I mean when you've got two 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 boys that are nine and six and uh two parents you know that 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 work and are imperfect sometimes in our house things happen and we need peace and boy yesterday before we went to the egg hunt yesterday yesterday morning we needed some peace in the in the in the cookhouse because those little uh, those little kids that you call angels, Ethan and Owen, can I tell you, sometimes they're real demons sometimes. And, uh, man, it, the day started good yesterday. I mean, uh, the day started with Ethan going and getting out this little electric guitar that he got back, I guess, for Christmas a couple years ago. He got out his electric guitar, and he put in his CD. And praise the Lord, it was Johnny Cash on there. I see my wife. I love my in-laws, but they really, I mean, they did things that just, you know, she grew up listening to Michael Jackson, going to New Kids on the Block concert. Sometimes she pulls out this New Kid on the Block concert, and for those of you that don't know them, I mean, I look at that picture, and I think, is that a man or a woman? And she sometimes puts that on just to make me mad, just to irritate me. But praise the Lord, I'm trying to do the best I can, and he was listening to Johnny Cash. And he got that guitar out, and he was playing to Johnny Cash, and the world was good. The world was so good. And he was playing. And then all of a sudden, it got even better. It got even better. He then went in and put in another CD, and it was a a CD of Christmas Christian Christmas carols, and it was like bagpipes and stuff. And I don't know how how you do this, but he was playing the electric guitar along with the bagpipes. And I'm not going to say it sounded that great, but, but I was glad. I was glad. And uh, he was playing that guitar, and, and, and the Christmas carols were, were going on. And then I heard Jacob, I heard the awfulest yelling. I heard Ethan, or I heard Owen going, Ethan, stop it! Stop doing that! And then I heard him, and, and I, I'm just listening. I hear him go, if you keep doing that, I'm going to die. I can't live like this. I thought, what in the world? 
And so I called him in and I said, what is going on? And man, Ethan had the biggest grin on his face, wicked grin on his face. And he was smiling and Owen said, I'm trying to play my music and I'm trying to learn. And I cannot practice with him in that room doing this kind of stuff. And Ethan was just smiling and his brother was mad. And I, I, got, to, I got to chuckling, which Owen did not like that. And uh, I said, well, I don't want you to die, you know. I want you to be able to live. And I said, Owen, or I told Ethan, I said, stay in the room where I'm at. I was ironing clothes. I said, come in here in this room. You can still hear the music, and you can dance all you want. You can dance all you want. Let him be in that room. We, we needed peace. We needed peace. I, I told you all, uh, two weeks ago, I heard my wife say something that up to this point, I don't think she has said in our marriage. We were cleaning house two weeks ago, and Laura was in the playroom with the boys. And I was vacuuming. I got done vacuuming, and they were still cleaning the playroom. And I heard my wife yell. And she yelled and told my two boys, which I, up to this point I've never heard her say this. She said, "If now she's yelling, if you two don't stop, I'm going to lock you in your room for two hours. And I walked in and I said, I think I'm going to go to church and do some work today. Y'all just <laughs> Peace, we have no peace. We have no peace in our lives, and sometimes it's comical, and sometimes it's funny, but even the comical and the funny mask a very deep problem we have. We have no peace. We do not know what peace is, and so God had to become a peacemaking God for us, and that peacemaking God is not passive. It's not, sometimes we think of peace, and we just think that there's something passive. No, 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 and it says that he is a peacemaking God. This is an activity that God has done that brings peace. Now, in in Hebrews, in, in the book of Hebrews, here we are in the last chapter with this doxology. And here he says that we worship and praise a peacemaking God. And what he's done throughout that whole book, if you read it, is over and over ago in Hebrews, he explains how God, unlike everything else, how God has won a final peace for us. Listen to some of the words, some of what Jesus accomplished on the cross to win actively, to win your peace. In Hebrews it says that through Jesus, this peacemaking God has provided purification. Through Jesus, your sins, you have been purified. Through Jesus it says that he has become a propitiation for your sins. In Hebrews it tells us that Jesus has become a sacrifice for your sin. In the book of Hebrews it tells us that Jesus has become forgiveness for your sins. It tells us in Hebrews... That God in his very flesh, the Son Jesus, in his very flesh, in his very body, and this is a great mystery and I don't understand it all and I can't explain it all, but I testify that it is true for I have felt its power. The Bible says that Jesus in his very body on the cross made peace for you with God by bearing away, carrying away in his flesh your sin. The scriptures tell us that Jesus, Hebrews, it tells us he took away our sins. And he is a very, a very, the most very, the, the greatest of all, the highest of all. He is the sacrifice for you. And it is, Hebrews tells us, it is the final, it is the greatest, it is the only sacrifice of blood that God will ever need again. Because somehow in the mystery of it all, God, the Son, in his human flesh, bled his own blood for you. So I ask you again, if you are glad that you serve a peacemaking God today, say amen. Why do we praise him? 
Why have we spent over an hour this morning already praising our God? We praise a peacemaking God. Secondly, we praise Him today. He's a peacemaking God, but He's also a covenant-making God. We praise Him today because He has made a covenant between us and Himself. Look at verse 20 again. Look what, look what it says in this doxology. Now the God of peace that brought again from our Lord, God brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. What has he done? How has he, how has he accomplished peace for us? Through the blood of the everlasting, through the blood of the eternal, through the blood of the never-ending covenant. So we celebrate today. Because Jesus was brought back from the grave and through that great victory, the victory of his blood shed for you on the cross, God has formed, God has established, God has made a new covenant. You see, our God is a promise-making, promise-keeping God. Our God is a covenant-blessing, a covenant-establishing, covenant-keeping God. And what is the seal? What is the seal of this covenant? You know, at the end of World War II, there's that uh, iconic picture of when uh, the general, I believe it was Douglas MacArthur, when he was uh, there on the great warship and they brought out the, the Japanese dignitaries and they signed a treaty. They signed an end to the war in the Pacific. And what was the seal and the sign of that? It was that, it was that, it was that treaty that they signed there. What is the seal? What is the signature? What is it that guarantees that, that this covenant actually exists between sinners like you and me and a holy God. And he tells us here, we praise this God because our seal, our signature, our guarantee that this covenant will never be broken, that it is established eternally, is the blood of Jesus. If you're glad for his blood, say amen. It is the blood. Jesus' very blood. The very blood of Jesus is what guarantees every promise of God to you. Every blessing that God gives you has been guaranteed and made possible by Jesus. Would you look at this verse with me, Jeremiah 32, verse 40? Jeremiah uh, made this great proclamation. He, he, he said this something was going to happen. Jeremiah said, that, that speaking for God, the prophet speaking for God, said, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. What kind of covenant? Well, a covenant that I will not turn away from them, but do them good. And I will put my fear in their hearts, and they shall not depart from me. He says, I will make an everlasting covenant. And right here we see that it is through the blood of Jesus that this everlasting covenant that was promised in olden times has now arrived. So why this morning do we praise God? We praise Him because He is a peacemaking God. We praise Him because He is a covenant-making, covenant-establishing God. Now, sometimes we make promises, and sometimes we uh, set out to do things in life. Maybe you've heard about Ricky. Uh, Ricky was a 13-year-old boy, and like many 13-year-old boys, he, he looked in the mirror one day and he realized he wasn't very big and he wasn't very strong. And, oh, this has happened all over this country. Little Ricky looked in the mirror and he saw, I've got to do something because Ricky was noticing that, that the girls in his, in his age that were 13, 14, 15, that they tended to, to like the guys with a little muscle and a little strength on them. And so Ricky decided, he decided after late one night watching one of those infomercials that make promises that we know will never, ever happen, Ricky said, ah, you know what? It's time. It's time. And he 
convinced his dad to go to the store with him. They went to Walmart. And Ricky uh, got his dad over in the sporting section, and Ricky did what many boys have done before and what many will do uh, for years to come. Ricky pointed over at a weight bench, and he said, Dad, if you buy me that weight bench, I will work out four times a week, and I will lift weights. Dad, I am committed. I've got to, I've got to do something uh, to get those girls' attention, and so I'm going to start lifting weights. And the dad, you know, I mean, he's lived with Ricky for 13 years. He looks back at his son. He said, son, I'm really not convinced that if I buy this, you're really going to work out four times a week. I just know you, and I'm just not convinced it's going to happen. And Ricky said, no, no, dad, I promise. I promise, dad, if you just buy me this weight set, I'll, I'll be committed. I'll use it. Four times a week I will work out. And Dad said, Ricky, I really, I just don't know, man. I just, I just don't think I'm going to do it. And Ricky looked at his dad and he goes, Dad, Sarah will never go out with me. You're going to ruin the rest of my life if you don't let me buy this weight bench. I'm sorry, if you don't buy the weight bench, Ricky. I don't know. You don't love me, do you, Dad? And if your kids ever talk to you like that, would you say Amen. And so dad, finally, I mean, who wants to not be loved by their child? And he, he said, okay, okay, okay. You promise, you promise me that you're going to work out four times a week, that you are committed to doing this. He said, dad, I am committed. I want this so bad. I'll do whatever it takes to get it. And so dad got the weight bench, got the buggy, put the weight bench up there. They got some weights to go with it and put it on there. They went to the checkout line. They checked everything out, and Ricky was so excited. And his dad reached over, and once they checked the things out, he put the weight back in the cart. And then the weight bench itself was in, you know, and the, and the, the weight bench is not that heavy. The weights are heavy. The weight bench is fine. The weight bench was in a cardboard box, and the dad was pushing the weights out, and he looked back at his Ricky, and he said, Ricky, I want you to carry that box to the car. I'll push this out, the heavy stuff. You carry that box. And Ricky goes, Dad, what are you doing? And he said, well, son, I'm going to push the weights out. You carry the weight bench. And Ricky said, you expect me to carry that to the car? You see, the fact of the matter is, we commit to things. And we say we'll do things. And we make all kinds of promises. And we use all kinds of words and all kinds of gestures to, to, to let folks know that, hey, you can count on me. And this is what I'm going to do. And this is, my, my, you know, uh, you can trust me. The fact is, most of us at some point in our life, we have failed. In fact, I'd be willing to bet, I'd be willing to bet today, and you just let your heart listen to the Holy Spirit, I'd be willing to bet today that every person in this room, at some point, at some point of desperation, has made some promise to God that you failed to keep. Did you know that? Did you know that I've never actually met a person that can't somewhere in their life point to some moment where either they verbally made a promise or they knew in their heart that they should do something for God and they did not follow through. So you see, we need peace today. And we need a peace that can be established by a covenant that we can depend on. But we are not capable of doing it. And so why? Why do we get up? Why do we come? Why do we praise? Why do we sing? We praise today a God who is a peacemaking God. We praise today God because He is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. And we praise today, we praise God because our God is a Christ-exalting God. 
Now, what I love about the Bible is so much of the Bible is geared towards showing us how Jesus has, has, has praised the Father. And how Jesus has been faithful to the Father. And how the Son loves the Father. But I love what Hebrews and, and other parts of the New Testament show us that not only is the Son faithful to the Father, not only does the Son uh, exalt and, and praise the Father, but the Lord God Himself. The Lord God Himself, the Bible says, because of the life Jesus lived, because of the sin that He bore on the cross, and because of the faithful death, because His brother Jimmy Arms, if you were here, oh my, on Thursday night He took us through Gethsemane. He took us through Gethsemane where the cup was there. And where Jesus told the Father, I don't really want to drink all this cup. I don't really want to have to do it. But he drank it all. He did it all. He did everything that God the Father desired. Because Jesus was faithful, the Bible tells us that now, not only does the Son magnify the Father, but because of his faithfulness to the covenant to save you, the Father has now exalted the Son. Go back and look. Look at verse 21. Look at what it says. May Jesus make you perfect in every good work to do His will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom, just like the Father, to whom be glory forever and ever, who has done this, who has given Him this glory, who has said He is worthy of it. You go back to the beginning of verse 20. Now the God of peace. You see, Jesus, Jesus has been faithful to save you. And because of this, God has decreed that he is worthy of exaltation. Now, who do you exalt in your house? Who do you set up as heroes in your house? Who do you uh, tell people uh, to look to uh, and, and do, you know? And there are different people in our house that we, I mean, our kids like sports, so we try to point them to certain sports figures that have good, good uh, work tendencies. And in the church, we try to point to people that are faithful and, and within the church, you know, dependable, and you can count on them. And we try to point to them and tell our boys, hey, when it comes to the Lord's work, this is how you need to be. And, and we try to do that. And then, you know, uh, somebody else that, that we point to, that I point to, just we're from Tennessee. So you try to think, who, who are people in Tennessee that we can point to them to look up? And, uh, you know, Davy Crockett. Davy Crockett's one that we've told our boys about. And, and, and I just read a little book to him recently that I downloaded on my Kindle. Read him a little book about Davy Crockett. And, and why do that? You know, why, 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 why do that? Well... You know, Davy was a frontiersman, and uh, he accomplished some amazing things early in life. Physically did some things that very few people today in America do. We're soft, we're weak, and uh, he just did some amazing things. But you know the main reason that I point my boys to Davy Crockett? is because when Davy Crockett was sent to Congress, he stood against the very popular president, Andrew Jackson cost him his political career and by cost him his political career it cost him his life because of the fallout of standing up to Andrew Jackson who wound up in Texas where he died you see Andrew Jackson lived kind of in the middle part of the state towards the western side and uh, da- or that's where I'm sorry Davy Crockett lived on the western part of middle Tennessee and Davy Crockett had fought in the Indian Wars with Andrew Jackson and then after the War of 1812, when it was finalized that America would have control of Alabama and Mississippi, when they finally were able to win those wars and the Americans got control and it was no more disputed between them and the British, they, they, they made Andrew Jackson the great hero of 1812. They made him the general to survey the land. And 
Andrew Jackson surveyed the land and he realized there were millions and millions of acres ripe for planting of cotton. And Andrew Jackson had grown up rough and tough and he knew there was millions of dollars to be made. And he did. He made millions of dollars because he surveyed the land and then he bought it cheap and sold it cheap because he knew where the good land was at or sold it high. Bought it cheap, sold it high. And that, and that was okay. Nothing wrong with that. But then Andrew Jackson became president. And he realized there was millions more acres that belonged to the Indians. And there were treaties that had been made. And the Chickasaw and the Cherokee, they didn't fight anymore. In fact, many of them had become Christians. Did you know that? Many of them become Christians. But he knew there was millions more acres that could be had. And when he became president, he put a law forward to remove the Indians and he said, it'll be peaceful and we'll move them off their land and we'll, we'll move them out west to Oklahoma. And he presented it to Congress as if they were doing the Indians a favor. We'll move them over there and give them this land. But see, Davy Jackson's farm was right up against where the Indian land began. And he knew it was a lie. He knew it was a lie. He knew that the Indians that lived beside him farmed and they loved their land. And he knew they didn't want to leave because he knew them personally. And so one day Davy Crockett from Tennessee stood up in Congress and to sum it all up, he said, this is basically a lie of rich men. Of men that know they can speculate this land and they can take it and they'll make a lot of money. He said, these, these folks don't want to leave and it's not going to be peaceful and it's not going to be nice. Some tribes of the Cherokee villages, one out of four persons died. When they moved them. Children, women mostly died. Exterminated and wiped out their future. Well, Andrew Jackson won the battle. Davy stood on his principle and it cost him everything. Cost him everything he had to stand up and say, that's not true. My boys think that I teach them about Davy Crockett because he was good with a gun. Because he killed bears and because he was a soldier. That's not why I teach them about Davy Crockett. I teach them because I want them to know there'll come a day in this world where powerful people, influential people in your school, where they're all going to do wrong. And in your life, you'll have to make a decision to do right. And so at our home, we exalt Davy Crockett. But did you know as good as he is, Davy Crockett had many faults and many sins, and he engaged in his own fair share of wickedness. So you see today in this church, we don't come to praise Davy Crockett, though he's from Tennessee. And we don't come to praise any president. And we don't come to praise you, and we don't come to praise me. We come today to praise the God of peace who has taught us to exalt Jesus Christ because this Easter we realize that Jesus has done what no one else could do, that Jesus stood alone on the cross and he redeemed us and he accomplished a victory for you and me and all the good that happens in your life that you experience, that you go through. It is because of Jesus. It has all been done through Jesus. If you exalt him today, say amen. It is Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? What can bring back the peace that I need? What can bring the resurrection to my life that I 
must have nothing but the blood of Jesus. And it is because of the blood that was shed for you, the blood that Jesus gave that we celebrate today because the grave could not hold him. Death could not defeat him. Sin could not overcome him. Jesus is not dead. Jesus is risen. And now he's exalted to the right hand of God. Philippians 2, 8-9 says, Being found in fashion as a man, he, Jesus, humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, because of this, God has highly exalted him. God the Father has exalted Jesus, and he has given him a name which is above every name. So today we praise the peacemaking God. We praise the covenant-making God. We praise the Christ-exalting God. But do you? We praise this God. But do you? How? How can my voice join all the other voices praising this God? The Bible says to confess your sin. You know you're broken. You know you need peace. The Bible says confess it with your mouth. And then confess that Jesus is Lord. Confess your sin and acknowledge the one salvation for your sin. The one who stood when no others could stand or would stand. Confess that Jesus has died for you. So we praise today the covenant-making God. We praise the peace-establishing God. We praise the God who has exalted Jesus. But do you? If you do, then today is a celebration. But if you do not, today is a day of condemnation. For you have condemned yourself by ignoring the Savior for sin. So we have praised Him and we have worshipped Him and we have heard beautiful voices raised and we have heard a sermon preached and we have heard prayers praised. What about your voice? It's resurrection day. It's a day of new life. There would be nothing better today than if like Brother William, if today you would come and you would kneel Confess with your mouth your sins to God. He already knows them. It's for you, for you to confess your sin and to exalt Jesus as Savior and Lord. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to have a song. We're going to have a time of opportunity, and it's already been a great day. But it needs to be a great day for you. Today, if you need to be saved, if you need to pray, listen, you you come. Let's, let's pray together. Father God, we've given this sermon. And Lord, we have sought to exalt your son, Jesus. Lord, today there is one, though. There's one or two or three that, Lord, they personally have not exalted him. They have not confessed that they are a sinner. And they have not named Jesus as Lord and Lord of King and Kings. Lord, I pray today that it wouldn't just be us that praise you. Lord, I pray that the one that needs salvation, even now, that they don't have to wait till the music, that they would come now, that they would kneel and that they would pray to you this morning. Father God, we give you this service in the exalted one's name, in the name of Jesus. We give it to you. Let's see, so what number today? 180. Listen, there's already one here. If you need to come today, listen, you come. 
and pray. There's one that's already come. What about your name? What about you today? Listen, there's others coming if Jesus is speaking. Listen, you come as he calls to you today. Listen to this song. You listen. For you, the blood was shed. And there is no other Savior, no other way. Let's sing another verse. If you need to come this morning, you come. just the rich and mighty that sin. It's not just the rich and mighty that have trampled on God's people. You and I have sinned against the holy God. Either kneel now in His presence and acknowledge Jesus or there's a day coming when it's too late. One more verse, you come. This is all Glad for the blood, say amen. 